So we uh, sing songs, we offer up prayers. Perhaps you're, you're watching today online, we uh, welcome you as also. This morning we'll be celebrating Lord's Supper, and we invite those who are visiting with us to, to join with us if they've uh, been baptized, been, have made profession of faith, and are uh, members in good standing in a Bible-believing church. The Word calls us to examine our hearts and not to come thoughtlessly or carelessly to the table, lest we eat and drink judgment to ourselves uh, for taking, partaking lightly. We ought to know our relationship with the Lord, and we ought to uh, be delighting that He has called us to come to Him as we have made profession of faith in Him. As we come in worship, let us open this morning with time of prayer. Let's pray. Oh God, as we come to you this morning, you who lives and reigns forever, we're humbled that you receive our imperfect worship. We know that we come often ill-prepared, unprepared, indeed far more often unprepared than prepared. You gather us together to worship this morning, to focus on you. Help us, Lord, to give you praise and to delight in your love, to give our lives as living sacrifices in your service as we make this decision this morning that committed to be here. We know that you have led us to that. We know that it is your work and we know that we are dependent upon you to stir in our hearts that love, that adoration that we ought to have for you. And so we pray for that, for we are dependent upon you for that new life. Hear us, Lord, for in these prayers, for we're poor and needy. Guard our lives that we might be devoted to you and say, steadfast is my heart, O God. I will sing and give praise to you. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I ask you to stand as we have responsive call to worship this morning. You'll see it there in your bulletin. <clears throat> As you turn to the inside of your bulletin, you'll see the responsive reading based on Psalm 85 this morning. Show us your unfailing love, O God our Savior. Listen to what the Lord our God says. The Lord will indeed give what is good. Receive this greeting. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you that you might know his grace and peace. Amen. Let's turn in our hymnals then to number 300 as we sing a few songs in opening this morning. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee as we prepare our hearts for his coming again. We think about his first coming and so we sing some songs that uh, speak of the advent, the coming of Christ. Let's sing the four stanzas, number 300.
I want to thank the musicians this morning. Thank you for playing along and putting that together, Marion, to help these young people serve the Lord with their musical talents. We're going to sing number 259. Oh Lord, how shall I meet you? That is uh, the next song that we sing. Uh, the tune's a little uh, less familiar, but uh, I, think we, I think we'll know this one. Let's uh, sing the five stanzas, number 259.
In that hymn, we see a wonderful reminder of God's assurance of pardon that in the Lord Jesus Christ, He is is the one who's come down to secure our liberty, the one whose love is beyond all telling, uh, the one who has come to set us free. And we're thinking about that this morning uh, through the preached Word, of course, and also in celebration of Lord's Supper. I invite you to turn to the form in the insert in your bulletin as we uh, read together, as we listen together concerning the meaning of Christ giving of himself for our sins. Let us consider the purpose for which our Lord has instituted his supper, that we should do this in remembrance of him. And Paul adds, until he comes again. We're going to look at that this morning too. Until he comes again. Do this in remembrance of him until he comes. And this is how we remember him by it. First, let us be fully persuaded in our hearts that our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the promises made to our forefathers in the Old Testament, was sent by the Father into the world. That he assumed our flesh and blood, that he took upon himself for us the wrath of God, under which we should have perished eternally. And that from the beginning of his incarnation until the end of his life on earth, he fulfilled for us all obedience and righteousness of the divine law. This was especially evident when the weight of our sins and of the wrath of God caused him to sweat drops of blood in the garden. He was bound so that we might be loosed from our sins, and afterward he suffered countless insults so that we might never never be put to shame. Let us confidently believe that he was innocent, yet put to death that we might be acquitted on the day of judgment, that he even allowed his own blessed body to be nailed to the cross so as to cancel the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In doing so, he took from us the curse and bore it himself so that he might fill us with his blessing. He humbled himself to the very deepest reproach and anguish of hell in body and soul on the cross when he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did all of this so that we might be accepted by God, never to be rejected by him. Indeed, with his death and the shedding of his blood, he confirmed the new and eternal covenant, the covenant of grace and reconciliation, when he said, it is finished. In order that we might firmly believe that we belong to this covenant of grace, during the Last Supper, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That is, as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, as a sure remembrance and pledge, you shall be admonished and assured of my great love and faithfulness towards you, because you otherwise would have suffered eternal death. I give my body and blood for you in my death on the cross. And as certainly as this bread is broken before you and this cup is given to you, and with your mouth you eat and drink in remembrance of me, so surely do I nourish and refresh for everlasting life your hungry and thirsty souls with my crucified body and shed blood. From the institution of this holy supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see that he directs our faith to his perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross as the only foundation of our salvation. By this sacrifice... He has become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true food and drink of life eternal. 
For by his death, he has taken away the cause of our eternal death and misery, our sin. He's also obtained for us the life-giving spirit who dwells in Christ, our head, and enables us who are his members to have communion with him and be made partakers of his riches, including eternal life, righteousness, and glory. Besides, by this same spirit, we're also united as members of one body in true Christian love, as the Apostle Paul says, because there is one bread, we are We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. As many grains are ground to prepare one loaf of bread, and as many grapes are pressed together to produce wine, so we who by true faith are incorporated into Christ shall be one body through Christian love for the sake of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. He loved us so greatly in order that we might show his love toward one another, not only in words, but also in deeds. May the almighty, merciful God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ help us in this through his Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's now unite our hearts in time of prayer. Let's pray. Merciful God and Father, our hearts are before you as an open book. You know what we think. You know the words that come to our lips before one of them is uttered. You know that at times our thoughts are murderous, angry, covetous, complaining. You know how weak we are. We try to tell ourselves how strong we are. We keep our bodies healthy and fit, and that is good. We ought to take care of our bodies. But we fixate so much on the external that we often forget how weak we are internally, spiritually, how dependent we are. Lord, remind us that need to be nourished. Remind us of the hunger that we truly ought to have, which is for you, that we should hunger and thirst for righteousness, for then and only then will we be filled in the way that you would intend to fill us. Lord, physically we are weak. Sickness has come and our weakness is exposed. We're tested to remember that our strength is to be found in you, that our healing is to be found in you, that we can only be made whole as we look to you. Today we remember those who deal with daily infirmity and we pray that you would give them inner strength to help them deal with outer weakness. We think of Barb J. Zanster, we think of Beth Zanster, we think of Debbie, we think of April and of John. Lord, give them strengthening mercies and strengthen them inwardly too, O Lord, that their faith would be made strong in time of weakness. For those recovering from surgeries, we thank you for healing mercies. We pray, Lord, that as we think upon these individuals, we would also think upon our infirmities 
and of our need to have our faith strengthened to look to you as we see those who are weak. Help us to understand our own weakness. Help us to pause and to thank you for working in our hearts and minds to turn from that which is brokenness, that which is rebellious, to turn from sin and to do the right. We thank you, Lord, for your provision in the life of your Son. We pray, O Lord, that as we think upon his death and his sufferings, we would remember what a price was paid for our sins and what a gift was given, a perfect sacrifice. We pray that as we celebrate this sacrament today, we would be nourished and refreshed in our hearts by faith as we're united to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to turn away from our sin to know that he lives in us and we in him. Help us to be true partakers of this new and everlasting covenant of grace, not doubting that you will forgive our sins forever in him, that you desire that we would depend upon you, acknowledging our weakness, even as we think upon his, acknowledging his example that he would turn to you, our Lord and Savior, the Son of God, eternal God, would turn to you, his Father, seeking strength from you, praying that he might bring honor and glory to you. May we see that more and more in our lives. Lord, as we take up the cross to deny ourselves to die to the old self and live to the new. May we do so with joy, recognizing that that new way of life is true life indeed. That what the world provides, what the world offers is temporal and satisfying only to the senses. But you are giving a life that is powerful beyond death as we look forward to that day when he comes again Lord this morning as we consider that his coming again may we walk by faith longing for that day when our mortal bodies will be like unto his glorified body and will be taken to be with him in eternity we pray O Lord that as we Worship, you would give us hearts and minds to focus on this. Remove all distractions, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We sing once again, this time number 292, Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. We're going to sing the four stanzas as we stand to sing... Number 292. 
Let's turn in God's Word this morning to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. I did not forget the promise I gave you last Sunday. I said you had to come back and hear about Joseph. Well, that's tonight. We're going to hear more about Joseph in the evening sermon. This morning we're going to be beginning a series of Advent sermons looking at Christ's appearing, His coming again. So we'll be looking at various passages throughout the, the New Testament in these next few weeks together. Let me, ask, let me start by asking a question. What's your view of history? How do you look at the world today? Is your view rather pessimistic or optimistic? How you look at the world, how you think about the history of the world is largely determined by whether or not you believe what Scripture says about the history of the world, the true history of the world. We aren't surprised, at least if we're Bible-believing Christians and, and literate in the Bible, we ought not to be surprised by what we see today, the fallenness of man, the sinfulness of man, the brokenness in this world. In fact, it, it's really what we expect, it's what the Word tells us is our uh, situation, what we, what we are, where we find ourselves in this world under the curse of sin. Jesus gives his view of history in these verses this morning in Matthew chapter 24. When we read these verses, it helps us focus on God's plan and the hope that we can have as we wait for his coming, that next great event which will bring an end to this age and usher in eternity. 
Jesus' words, if you look before the chapter 24, Jesus' words are in the context of his pronounced woe on Jerusalem, that Jerusalem will face destruction. Destruction is coming, verse 38 of chapter 23. That event he's speaking of is the, the destruction of the temple, which did indeed happen in A.D. 70. Uh, the Romans came and uh, wreaked havoc or brought destruction upon the temple of the Lord. But he also, in his speaking throughout the, the Gospels as they record his words, is using this actual historical event to prepare us for the ultimate end, the ultimate destruction of the world uh, itself. It's pointing forward to what's coming at his return. Let's have that in the back of our minds as we look together at God's word. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. And they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Then moving ahead to verse 36. Jesus continued, but concerning that day and hour, the return of the Son of Man, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. The Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So far, the reading of God's unholy word, may he teach us and transform us in the preaching of it this morning. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, it is safe to say that people are concerned about the world. They're concerned about the planet. We see it in environmental movements. We see it in concerns about overpopulation. If you hear people speaking today, they're concerned. They they, they know it's possible that the world could come to an end, so it's man's responsibility to make sure that doesn't happen. 
That's, that's, where we've, we've, that's what we've come to today. We've got to not overpopulate. We've got, not, we've got to be careful about our fossil fuel usage. We have to be careful about our usage of all resources, and, and on and on it goes. And they think that they're going to keep the end from coming. Well, the truth is the world will come to an end. This world, and not by man's hand, but according to the decree of the Lord. Jesus was talking about this in the days leading up to his crucifixion. It's not a secret. It's not like we don't know that this is going to happen. The, the Bible is very clear about this. It's spoken of numerous times uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the apostles. Jesus taught why he had to come in the flesh. He had to come in the flesh to atone for sin, but that was not all he was coming to do. He declared that he would come again to destroy the devil's work and to renew the world because the world is groaning. It's under the effects of sin. It, it, there, are, it is, there are things that are dying. Christ is going to come to make all things new, to give eternal existence to what God made good in the beginning. At Christmas time, we reflect on Christ's first coming, but we ought to also reflect on his second coming, and we ought to be ready. He will come unannounced, and judgment will fall at that time. Well, that's reason for optimism. That's reason for optimism because he is going to come, as I said, to renew, and he's going to come to destroy all wickedness and to remove all consequence of sin because sin will be no more. And so we can be optimistic. All of history is headed to this great event. But how many think about it? How many really think about it today? You're getting ready for Christmas. What does it mean to get ready for Christmas? It means to get all your gifts, right? means to make sure you know how you're going to pay the bills. Hopefully you've been saving if you're going to spend a lot of money. That's what we think, right? That's how we say, well, I'm, I'm ready for Christmas. Are you ready? People say to me, are you ready for the holidays? Are you ready for Christmas? Well, uh, in, in one sense, I'm, I, I hope I'm ready at all times for that next great event, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In history, that is what we are living for, as we're going to see this morning. We don't need to know the exact time of that return to be greatly helped by the truth of that certain return. Jesus speaks in numerous places about the Son of Man's return. He never gives a date and a time. He says, we don't know when to expect him, he'll come as a thief in the night, but we're to be ready. What does it mean to be ready? Well, for, first off, it means to, to do as the apostles were, were, were doing in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended into heaven. What are they doing? They're looking up. They're, they're, they're looking up. They, they were thinking, well, Jesus is going to go up and, and do whatever he has to do and then come back. It's going to be this quick return. What do the angels say to the, the, the disciples? Why do you stand here looking up into heaven? Why are you standing here? Why are you going to, to just stand here? He's going to return the same way that he has gone, and that is on the clouds. 
But you go and tell. Jesus says just a few verses earlier in Acts chapter 1, you go and be my witnesses. Tell them what is true of the world. I have come. I have accomplished the purpose for which I have come. Now I'm received into glory to show that I am the one who can be seated on God's holy hill, as the psalmist says, because I'm pure and righteous. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you that you might be with me where I am. But we do look up. We look up because our Savior comes from heaven. It doesn't, our Savior doesn't come from the world. Salvation is not from the world. The world needs to receive. We need to receive. God gives his Son. We need to receive him by faith, to be delivered from temptation, to be delivered from despair. When we look around, we think, oh, when is this all going to be over? Or when, when will this be restored? We need to remember Christ's words. He's coming again. And heavenward focus enables us to be optimistic even in these dark days. Because then we know, or as we look up, we know Christ is reigning and our work is not in vain. The Bible gives a true history of the world. Explains the true story of man, where we've come from, how we've fallen, how we're going to be restored. Tells us of how Christ came, how heaven came to earth. He came to a manger, one who was eternal with the Father, coming to earth to do battle with the devil, to gain victory over sin, total victory, and was now it was then brought back into heaven to rule from there until he returns to reveal his total victory. Why aren't people talking about that? Why aren't people ready for that? Because we're so focused on this. And, 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 and don't misunderstand. We're not, my professors in college used to say, don't get dualistic. Like God doesn't have anything, any love for the world. Yeah, he sent his own son for the world. Yes, we care about the world. We are invested in the world. And that's because God's made it and he's going to remake it. But our focus is not to be saved by this world, but it's to be saved by Christ in the world and to tell others of that salvation. Why are so many people living without hope? Because the scales of unbelief have come across their eyes. They, they, they can't see. They suppress their true, this truth with busyness and medication and many other things today. And the view of history that we get from the quote-unquote experts is, well, man is perfectible. Man is, is going to be able to get better. That, there's, there's another view of history out there, isn't there? It's that the world is, is going to go on as long as we take care of it and as long as we are perfecting the way we use things in the world. We're, we're going to be our own saviors. We're going, to, we're going to make sure that nothing bad happens. I used to wonder why my parents worried so much about me. And now I'm a parent and I think, oh, I worry about my kids all the time. I'm not supposed to, but it's, I don't want anything bad to happen. But even wrapping in them bubble wrap's not going to be the trick. And they wouldn't like, like that very much if I sent them to church with bubble wrap on. But wh- 
we're, we're worried. We're worried all the time. Because we're not focused in the right place. And we think, oh, we, we, just, we just need to fix this and make sure it's, it's, it's perfect. And we can do this. We, we now have new technology. We have new educational philosophy. We have new economic systems. We can provide. We can, we can have everything that we need to make sure this, this, nothing goes wrong. The experts tell us who to listen to, where to look for hope, but we are left disappointed when we look to man. For while humanity wants to perfect itself without God, it never will and never can. Humanity really wants to be God. That's that temptation that the devil gave early on. You will be as God. What's the church's role in this? How, how does the church respond? Well, the church at large today seems rather anxious. They say, well, I don't know. How are we going to get people to come and, and fill the empty pews? How are we going to, what, what, what do people want? How are we going to get people to come and, 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 and to be a part of the church? And they think that somehow that, that just filling the seats is the, is the goal rather than telling the truth and, and proclaiming the gospel and the hope of the world. That's the anxious church. The faithful church holds to the word of God and sees the world from a biblical perspective, declaring with confidence that Christ has paid for sin, that he has ascended into heaven, that he is coming again. And we need to be ready. Christ has come to show that the devil's days are numbered, to show that sin's days are numbered. The faithful Christian seeks to live in light of God's word, proclaiming new life in Christ and the certainty of his return. Jesus clearly teaches in our passage this morning where the world is headed. And what he says is man hasn't changed. You know, we talk about man changing so much. Oh, we've changed so much. We've, we've, we've advanced so much. And all of that is external. We talk about how, how advanced we are technologically, economically, educationally, scientifically. And we, we focus on that and say, look how far we've advanced. And we have had much advancement. But have we really advanced all that much in our hearts? What does Jesus say in our passage this morning? As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the return of the sons of, uh, Son of Man. What's he saying there? He's saying, just as men and, and women and people in the days of Noah were going about not listening to Noah, not preparing for the flood, so it will be at the return of the Son of Man. They're more concerned about, about all of their, their activities and, and making history, making reality in their, in their doing than preparing for the the reality to come. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus isn't saying marriage is bad. In fact, we, we, we are big proponents of marriage. The scripture is very clear in that. But what he's saying here is they were busy eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, unaware until the flood came, till the catastrophe came, it reads in the original, and swept them away. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. What we're changing, advancing technologically, Inwardly, we still have the same need, and we will until the end of time, and that is that we might have our hearts made new to be prepared for the return of the Son of Man. Man thinks all of history is about him. He thinks he's making his story. 
The Bible says God's plans are fixed and man must live into them. And we need to be ready for that certain, though unpredictable, return of Christ. Events remind us that we, no matter how much we prepare uh, for eternal, uh, uh, earthly things, we, we're not always ready, are we? We have all the intelligence, we have all of the military, we have all of this, and we still have 9-11. Just recently, uh, the attack in Israel, which some are calling Israel's 9-11, where people were surprised. We think of the wars and rumors of wars that Jesus talks about between Ukraine and Russia and in South Sudan, the civil wars that are going. And throughout Africa, we, see of, uh, we, we hear of, of civil wars taking place and of the surprise attacks. We can be surprised, brothers and sisters, unless we are looking up and looking in to God's Word. Well, secondly, Christ is coming again. How will He come? Four brief points. He's going to come suddenly. As in the days of the flood, so it will be in the coming of Christ. It will be sudden. There will be no time to be ready. To get ready, you will need to be ready. And that's why he speaks about it before he departs his disciples. He says, be ready. It will be sudden. Secondly, it will be powerful and visual. Son of man will come on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. We read in chapter 24, verse 30. It will be a trumpet call, a voice, the voice of an archangel. This will not be missed. We won't somehow miss this. Thirdly, it's going to be triumphant. Jesus will come as king. Matthew 25, verse 34, Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, He will come with angels, and He will sit on His glorious throne. Verse 34, Then He will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He has prepared this place, and He is coming as King, and He will offer this. He won't ask anybody for permission to offer this. It's His to give. That's our reason for optimism in, the dark, in these dark times. When he comes, he welcomes us to that place that he has prepared for us, where sin and sorrow and separation will be no more. Fourth, how is he going to come? He's going to come in judgment. When Christ comes again, he will judge, making pronouncement upon the wicked and speaking into existence the new creation, declaring the end of sin. End of Matthew 25. We're not looking at all those things today, but just thinking about his return for a moment. Christ has appeared. He will appear again. Don't you sometimes feel like you're living in a cycle of monotony? This fallen world seems like things happen again and again. The news cycle seems like, oh, heard that before. Happens again. And we kind of fall into this sense of, well, this is just going to keep going on and on and on. Same, same things happening. Well, sin certainly has the same consequences. Nothing changes in that sense. But what we read in our passage this morning is that things are linear. They're headed toward that one event, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven came to earth 2,000 years ago. The angels proclaimed from glory, glory to God in the highest, and heaven will come again. And the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to renew the world. We can be optimistic because God, the author of all history, has revealed his plan of cosmic renewal. 
the return of his son. What's one way to get ready as we think of that in our final point? How do we get ready? What's one way to get ready? We remember his death and his resurrection, right? Do this in remembrance of me. One way as we come and we celebrate the sacrament, remembering what he has done to accomplish the victory over sin and death and hell. What we do is we come in worship. This is important. This event, this, this weekly reminder of covenant renewal where God says, you are my people and I am your God. So shall it happen. As I have said, we have confidence. We are ready when he comes. Paul says as he received Instruction from the Lord, 1 Corinthians 11. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. And then what does he say? Until he comes. Don't miss that. Don't forget that. God has given this sacrament to nourish your faith and mine. We are to receive the sacrament in faith, believing that Christ has paid for all our sins with his life and death. Young people, you're to confess this as your own, that this truth, God's word, that, that the Lord Jesus Christ came for you, not just for others. I, I don't have time to look at this this morning, but verses 40. 41, this, this interesting and rather enigmatic statement, two men will be in the field, one taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one taken, one left. Commentators are, 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 are agreed in, in large part that what, this, what Jesus is saying is nearness to someone who is saved doesn't save you. Well, I go to church. I go to church. I'm near to 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 those who are saved. No, it, it it's it's a call. Jesus says, "You must confess me before men." That's the challenge to all of us to live that confession. Pray that God would speak to your heart to make this confession that Christ would be your Lord and Savior. Christ is coming again. How should we therefore live? Well, since he's coming again to judge the living and the dead and to, as Peter says, burn up all that is impure, how should you live? You should live holy and godly lives. Paul says the same thing. We should not live in darkness. We should live with soberness, with measuredness, with discipline, set apart from the world. Set apart in worship, remembering that we are set apart, but then going forth worshiping as we go forth, that people would see that we live for the Lord. Since Christ is coming again, you should live holy and godly lives every day. How else, is, what is else, how else does that look? Well, I was at a meeting this week at a Christian school with a bunch of ministers, and a large part of the meeting was, was from the head of school about the challenges of educating youth today in our day. And the biggest challenge is to getting the attention of the students is, as you can well imagine, social media. Talking about even those most disciplined of students spending hours on their phones each day. The less disciplined spending inordinate amounts of time on their phone each day. 
acknowledging in their living that their authority isn't God's word or their church or their parents, but TikTok. How should I look? How should I dress? What should I say? I better laugh at that joke. I better put up a joke. I better find out what makes me acceptable. And then I better do that because I want their acceptance. People of God, do you remember Peter's bitterness when the Lord looked at him after he had denied his Lord and Savior? What did he do? He wept bitterly. Do you weep over your sin? Do you, do you fight that sin? Or do you just say, oh, there they are being strict again. Why do my parents have to be so strict? Why do my teachers have to be so strict? Why does the school have to be so strict? Why is the church so strict? Look at it differently. Those seeking to serve the Lord, wanting you to live disciplined lives. That goes for all of us now. I'm not speaking just to the young people. All of us. Because he also said, sometimes the parents spend as much time on their phones as their children do. Look at it this way. We're seeking to hold each other accountable that we might be living for the Lord and not for the world. And it happens, that fine line of being in the world but not of the world is a very fine line and requires discipline each and every day. Discipline. If we spent as much time in prayer and scripture reading as we did on our phones. Well, first of all, we wouldn't have enough time in the day. But let's flip that. Spend as much time in prayer and in God's word and get rid of social media. Or understand its place and understand its dangers so that we might be ready when Christ returns. And he says... I see by your priorities what you value most. Where your loves are. You're ready. Is it possible for us to put our phones away for a whole Saturday? Oh, I don't mean not to receive phone calls. I mean to put it away to stop shooting memes and emojis and dumb stuff. Can we do it? How about not bring him to church? Get a call during the service. If you answer it, would you answer it? How about spending a night together as family talking about how things are going at school or how things are going at work or spending time praying together? Being ready. Is discipline bad? No. Is being undisciplined bad? Yes. 
John Piper said this, one of the great uses of Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. It wasn't because we didn't have enough time. And I hear that. I'm guilty of that. I didn't have time. Well, what did you do with those minutes, with those hours each day? Well, I was frittering away my time looking at things that really had no significance at all. What am I spending time on? Jesus says to his disciples just before his death, as he's facing Golgotha, he's in Gethsemane, he says, watch and pray that you might not fall into temptation. Watch and pray. That's how we get ready. Well, since Christ is coming again, we do not need to fear the end if we are in him. He gives hope. This world belongs to God, and he's coming to make all things new, and he's coming to bring his own to be with him, and he delights in his own. He sees you in your weaknesses, and he wants to help you turn away from those things. He wants you to be ready for his return. Hope. Hope is on the way. We need to know that in these dark days, that the light of the world has come into the world and is coming again. His coming gives hope to the most anxious heart, for he came to die to deliver us from sin. He's coming again to give what he has won for us. Look up and live in the hope of Jesus' second advent and live with the priorities that this reality demands. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, your children, know that our lives are exposed before you, as we said at the outset of the service this morning. We pray that you would grab our attention, our hearts, that we wouldn't think that this is all just going to go on and on and on as it does. All of history is headed for that one event, the return of your Son, and we need to be ready. And we need to remember that hope is on the way. Jesus is our hope. He is our strength now. You have sent your Spirit that we might say no to ungodliness, no to wasting time, no to things that are useless, and yes to those which are positive, giving ourselves to each other, encouraging each other, building each other up, being salt and light, sharing truth, praying with each other. Lord, help us to be those kinds of people, children of yours. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. As we come to the Lord's table, I invite you to turn to the form once again. 
in your bulletin. By this Holy Supper is our prayer that we would be strengthened in the Catholic undoubted Christian faith, making profession with heart and mouth in the triune God. We want to do that, saying together the words of the Apostles' Creed. We say together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That we may be nourished with Christ, the true heavenly bread. Let us not cling with our hearts to external things like bread and wine, but lift our hearts to heaven where our advocate Jesus Christ is. At the right hand of his heavenly Father, where the articles of our Christian faith direct us. Let us not doubt that we shall be nourished and refreshed in our souls with his body and blood. Through the working of the Holy Spirit, as truly as we receive the holy bread and drink in remembrance of him. The bread which we break is a communion of the body of Christ.